Hello and welcome to our podcast on the EU Mercosur trade deal. We are Emma, Reshma and Simon, students at the National University of Ireland in Galway. As part of the International Human Rights Law Clinic, we are working with activist Sergia, a member of Talambeo, looking at the intersection between the EU Mercosur trade deal and human rights. We are examining what impact the EU-Mercosur trade deal will have on the environment and how the agreement will be in contrast to international human rights standards. This is our second episode. You are listening to Sergia and me, Simon, interviewing Helmut Scholz, member of the German party Die Linke and of the European Parliament. Now enjoy! We are delighted to be joined today by Helmut Scholz. He's a member of the German party Die Linke and also a member of the European Parliament. Good afternoon, Helmut Scholz. Good afternoon. So the EU-Mercosur trade deal has been under discussion since 1999. On 28th June 2019, the European Union and Mercosur politically agreed on the trade deal in its current version. Could you please tell us a little bit about the development of the EU-Mercosur agreement. What steps does a deal like this go through? Who could participate in the negotiations and who was involved at the drafting stage? I will describe a little bit. We have to understand the general situation in which the EU-Latin America relationship is shaped, is uh, developing. And for a long time, so you mentioned it already in the 90s of the late century. Uh, there has been the, the, the plan and the schedule to conclude a bilateral trade and partnership agreement between the EU and the Mercosur countries because uh, both sides, the European, but also the Mercosur countries are since then already emphasizing that there is a deep historical linkage between the citizens between the countries of the European continent and the Latin American continent. And this should be creating a basis for developing a more closer economic and commercial cooperation and relationship. Therefore, that was the background. And as you know, uh, that was still the time before the Lisbon Treaty came into uh, force. So that was then still the, the responsibility of the member states to agree on the mandate for negotiation. So that was for a bigger part um, the interest of certain countries within the European Union to conclude this agreement, to have a more stable, um, how to say, it, perspective and a more um, general vision for, for these closer linking the, the, uh, the two entities together. Uh, the Lisbon Treaty changed the situation uh, because uh, with the Lisbon Treaty, the authority, the competence for any trade agreement for trade negotiations uh, came into the responsibility of the European Union institutions. So it was delegated, I would say, in a, in a, in a logic development of the logic of the uh, internal market to the external dimension. So if you have an internal market and if you have value chains, which in the, in the sphere of the globalized economy is developing uh, in, a, in a more um, 
international global understanding, then of course it is logic that this internal market needs also the extension to the outer world. And that was a conclusion for the, for, for the Lisbon Treaty in this uh, field. So then the EU took over to negotiate. At the same time, we have a, a changing reality in the Latin American countries. So uh, in Brazil, there has been a development. Lula came into power. The question of zero hunger programs, the whole question how to deal with the land reform in the country to give all the citizens in the country a chance to, to, um, to develop from themselves a new economic basis. In Argentina, there has been a huge political uh, restructuring and in both countries after the military uh, junta from the from the military uh, and the right extreme party even fascist uh, forces in, uh, being on the response in political responsibility in the country has also led to the uh, to uh, to to a rethinking and then there was a phase of elaborating what could be the best base for such an agreement, even if slowly there had been the one or the other aspect of the trade and commercial cooperation of, um, you remember probably the debate we had in the European Union on the ACTA agreement. So the question of the intellectual property rights, et cetera, came into the, re to the practical political uh, reality. All these aspects have been discussed on both sides of the Atlantic Ocean. And, but it was a quite, I would say, more calm development of elaborating what would be the best for the region. When in Argentina and in Brazil, there has been, again, a political shift more to the conservative wing of policies, they took, they took the, the ongoing negotiations to renew a hot phase of negotiations, and they turned to the European Union and said, now we should... Uh, negotiate uh, in, in practice, and that was, of course, uh, agreed by the European Union, who, who has uh, seen the, the chance and the ability to come to a more, uh, how to say it, powerful finalizing of the negotiations. And that led to the situation that uh, the partnership agreement, as well as a trade pillar, came into the focus. And so we have always to see what are the economic interests of both partners in such agreement, what are the political um, abilities, and that with, with a total different international trade policy since 2010, when the Lisbon Treaty came in power, there would have been also the necessity to, to rethink if the mandate, which has been a quite old-fashioned approach is still worse to be the basis for the negotiations. My group, I have asked several times to the commission in the, in the parliament to, to unleash a new mandate for the negotiations, which would take into account all the, the modern developments in the trade and sustainable development area, in the area of, of looking what are the real um, fields where we need an increased um, exchange. And uh, so, but that was never uh, positively answered. So we have an old-fashioned mandate and we have an increased and deepened negotiation phase 
and uh, a political agreement on the agreement last year. So uh, this is the situation where we are today. All right. Okay. So the European Commission, you could probably say, really was at uh, the center of the negotiations with the Mercosur countries. They were the driving force behind the negotiations of the deal. Did it ensure broad participation and transparency of information in negotiations? Uh, uh, of course, the, the Commission was a driving force, but we should not underestimate that the conservative forces in Brazil, in Paraguay, uh, in Argentina, uh, had been an increased interest to conclude such an agreement. So uh, when the political situation has changed in the Mercosur countries, when, uh, when those forces came into decisive power, they had been, of course, also a driving uh, force from the Mercosur countries towards Europe because they saw the chance to use also the, the enlarged economic and commercial relationship with the European Union as a counterpart to the pressure from the United States or from China or from other countries. So, I mean, and a little bit to neglect the South-Southern cooperation, which has been invoked by the Lula government, for example, in the, in the um, teens of, of, uh, of the 21st century. Uh, I have to complain that um, a lot of facts and figures, which uh, are the basis for the negotiations, have not been transparent enough. So there was a lack of information and the Uh, of course, behind the closed doors in the monitoring group of the European Parliament and the International Trade Committee, there had been given information, we had discussions, etc. But, but we never have known exactly what are the answers from the Mercosur countries towards the European uh, Union's, to the Commission's proposals, etc. So... Um, uh, in, a certain, in a certain understanding, I would say Uh, the whole development of these negotiations should have been put on the new basis, uh, at least in the years to, after 2010. And to continue on the old mandate had just led to the, to the problematic um, contents of the, uh, of the agreement, which we are now facing. Thanks, Helmut. I, I was just wondering... Because it seems to be like when you read articles about these these trade deals, Mercosur and CETA at the moment as well, it seems that there um, there's a lot of secrecy involved, especially in the negotiations. Like you'll often hear it um, hear these trade deals criticized for their lack of transparency and the lack of, I suppose, um, engagement from groups that will be affected. And I was wondering, just I'd be interested in hearing your opinion on as to why this secrecy exists. Like, is it, you know, would it threaten I don't know, stability of markets or, you know, I suppose, yeah, just why are these negotiations done in what seems to be quite a, uh, a secret way? I mean, the problem starts with a mandate. The, the problem is that the mandate is given by the council. So that is a compromise between interests of member states agreeing on a certain mandate. 
the European Parliament as a directly elected representation of citizens is not part of this uh, mandate giving process. So we, we have, in, in fact, on the Mercosur agreement, we had never had the chance to influence in which way the negotiation should be shaped. And, and the Mercosur agreement is such a special case because it was started before the Lisbon Treaty came into force and after uh, when it came into force, being subject to the old structure uh, approach. So the commission is always saying, course, we would give you the mandate, you, we would give you the, the knowledge about what we have to negotiate, but that is given by the, uh, should be given by the council. They have to inform. And the council is, of course, rejecting it. So we have no interinstitutional agreement with the council about this procedural approach from the parliamentarian side. And that is, of course, already starting lack of transparency. So the commission can always argue we are binded to these responsibilities under the refugees and we are not going further. But of course, during the TTIP negotiations in particular, the parliament has increased the power because we rejected the ACTA agreement, which I mentioned already shortly. And therefore, we could manage then that we got more and more at least at the parliamentarian level in the International Trade Committee information about these processes. And there is a mix. Of course, certain positions you are not putting on the table, as I would say, saying we, we are making these negotiations in the open room. But what where we are insisting on is to to that the, the that the positions which the European Union introduced into our partners must be known for the stakeholders, must be known for the public. So if you are speaking about, for example, a trade and sustainable development chapter, then of course the, the, the community of the indigenous people or the NGOs or the, the, uh, the peasants organizations in our partner countries as well as in the European Union uh, should know what what should be negotiated, what's the concrete result, what is the, the outcome of one and the other negotiation. Well, of course, that could be uh, an example for first information uh, in a more closer um, round, for example, in the International Trade Committee or in the so-called monitoring group, which are accompanying these negotiations from the European Parliament. But at least, there must be put on the table so that the public understands what will be the impact of such an agreement on my reality. The farmers and the milk uh, industry in, in Europe, of course, they should know what does it mean for them, or the importers of meat from Brazil and Argentina. What, 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 is, what does it mean for my organization of production in, in, a, in such an enterprise in the rural areas, etc.? If, if job places are um, endangered by the export of supply uh, suppliers uh, in the in the automotive sector to Latin America, that it will be endanger the automotive production in in these countries as well. So they should know what about that and how the trade unions are, uh, have then to 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 organize their internal 
position, uh, vice versa, the increased competition. So in this way, I would say transparency must be guaranteed about the positions, about the exchange of position of our counterpart, and then to see how we can balance this impact on our reality back into the negotiation process. So therefore, I would say uh, it was from the very beginning quite complicated to, to create such an understanding on both sides of the ocean for these negotiations. Thank you. Really interesting. I would like to move on with a different question on the topic. So this week, Austria's government said that they will not agree to the EU Mercosur trade deal, stating that the agreement is not in conformity with the European Green Deal. What are the effects of this decision? Could the efforts to ratify the agreement now become unsuccessful? I would say we should see and wait if the Austrian government is really taking uh, this uh, decision uh, following the, the, the decision of the Austrian parliament before. And there are some other countries, even the French president Macron uh, has expressed his doubt in, into the um, ability of that deal to cover the, the Paris Charter obligations for, for all the countries who have signed the Charter in the reality. I, I would say, uh, yes, we have to check it. And my position and the position of the left group in the European Parliament is that we should stop the negotiations, we should stop this agreement because it will not fulfill the criteria we expect to meet the interest of, for, for ecological, for human rights and for social reasons. And of course, it will have a deep impact on the, on the economies on both sides. And uh, it is interesting who is today questioning this agreement. So we have big uh, peasants uh, organizations, also in Germany, who are against this agreement as it is now on the table. Uh, because they are fearing the competition from the Brazilian and Argentinian, in particular, agricultural business. So they are not fearing it from the, from the perspective of the sustainable development for ecological reasons. So in fact, we have to, to compare what does it mean for the greening of the, of the reform of the common agricultural policy of the European Union, if it would be jeopardized by this agreement or would it be maybe even pushed forward? So the question is that uh, there is a lack of political coherence between the different parts of policy development of the European Union, if we are speaking about the European Union side. And therefore, I would say the agreement is old-fashioned because a lot of these, I would say, modern criteria for, for trade relations is taken out of uh, out of the of side when it was being concluded, and we have no strong tools and mechanisms for for tackling a dispute, settling it in the in the interest of the overall sustainable needs, and that makes it even more complicated. And so I can only say yes, uh, we have a broader uh, front of Uh, of stakeholders, of different stakeholders with a different background, criticizing agreement for very different reasons. 
either for competitiveness or for sustainable issues, for human rights, for social issues, or even for, for the fear that it will produce even more market access for the European industry at the Latin American market. And they have nothing to resist against these market uh, enforcement from the European Union. And uh, that will lead to a loss of job places uh, in, the, in the Latin American countries of the Mercosur. So, I mean, this is, this is also endangering. And, and therefore, I would say, yes, uh, it is not guaranteed that there will be an easy adoption of these agreements. Okay, so in an article on the webpage of Die Linke Europa, published on 26th February 2021, you said that Bolsonaro is not a contract partner whom we should trust. He would sign uh, the promise to protect the environment just to breach the agreement the day after its entry into force. If the European Union ratified the eu Mercosur agreement, What would that say about Europe and European values, especially um, when you look at human rights violations and environmental issues in the Amazon rainforest region? Um, shortly, in, in some short words, it is once more showing that there are double standards in practice. We are speaking a lot about our values and about the aims of policymaking. And in, in concrete details, we are violating it. I would prefer to have a joint debate with our Latin American partners, how to make such values uh, um, realistic, reasonable as a basis for the political, economic, and in a certain way, also cultural cooperation between our countries. And then to see if we can agree on the one or the other aspect. But here it is quite different. The economic interest is the only decisive factor for concluding the agreements. And if then there would be the political need for us to request Bolsonaro, then he will ensure, yes, I will fulfill this. But we will, and we know him, and we have seen his policy over the last years, It is a violation of all these values we are taking as granted as a basis for the, for the agreement. And that is, I think, so obvious that we should not conclude with him such an agreement. Even more when the political agreement is not yet concluded. So we, we have not yet even the, the, the political agreement. So, so what does it mean? And can we have a political agreement with such a, a uh, politician like Bolsonaro is, who is neglecting even the, the, the COVID-19 pandemic as, as a crucial challenge for all of us, I mean. Thank you. Yeah, I, I would tend to agree with you on that. I was just wondering, what are your thoughts on the shape of future trade deals? So if you yourself were tasked with uh, organizing trade between Europe and the Mercosur countries, um, How, how would you foresee trade be done in the future in a way that conforms to environmental and human rights standards? I mean, the new trade policy review of the commission, of the von der Leyen commission, with the new commissioner in charge for trade, Vice President Bombrovskis, 
Sale just said, yes, it must be a, a modern, a, a decent, and a, a sustainable trade policy. So there is already an awareness that the international trade policy must be put into compliance, into um, coherence with the aims of the new Green Deal of the, of the Commission. With, with mitigating the loss of biodiversity, um, fighting climate change, etc. The problem behind these words and these strategies is, is it really the, the basis of, an, of, of concluding agreements? And from my point of view, uh, I'm striving for years in the parliament for a fair, open, transparent, and solidarity cooperation agreement with third countries. So not saying it is a free and open and or fair and open trade agreement. No, it must be trade and cooperation. And that means the basis must be that such agreement should enable also our partner partners, the, the third uh, um, partner countries of the European Union to develop their own lasting, own economic um, development uh, mechanism in their, in, their, in their countries. So uh, do they have the chance with such an agreement not to be dependent from the, from the market force of the European Union from our, from our demands Uh, but that we are putting other criteria into the core of such agreement. So let's, for example, take the, the last two, three years when we are confronted with the digital trade that we could avoid even uh, a huge transport of goods over the ocean, which is harming the environment by enabling the industries from both sides to have maybe a startup in Ireland, uh, which is producing a certain product directly in Argentina through 3D printing there. And in such an agreement, we should agree who is then the benefiter, who is the creator of the value, how is this new organization of a value chain should be shaped. Such problems must be put into trade deals because we need for that, of course, also rules. Who is the owner of intellectual property rights? Who has access to these um, algorithms in the new, new phase of development? So that is only just a small example. Uh, so how we are producing our our um, um, agricultural products, why we, why we are subsidizing um, Irish, German, French beef producers for not producing beef, but we are importing beef from these countries. So it makes it sense. What, what is, is, is the ground for the new food industry in the 21st century when we have to care about the production of uh, food Uh, under under uh, under ecological criteria, under climate change uh, challenges. So I mean, uh, uh, avoiding 
um, cultures which need a lot of water. In, so look to Chile, what does it mean? If we are in, uh, importing the avocado from, from Chile, we are ruining the, the land and the soil situation in this country. So and we can come from one point to the other point. Therefore, I think we need more cooperation agreements instead of speaking about trade as an engine for economic growth. And finally, uh, a cooperation agreements should also cover uh, the new challenges to the economic understanding of the term in growth. We, we, we are discussing uh, also within the European Union, within the European Parliament, the question, what is the conception of our economic development, how we are coming to degrowth, not meaning that we have to, uh, to take back everything what we achieved in the last centuries, but that we are rethinking what is necessary for a human being consumption, what is, what is necessary for, for meeting a new, um, how to say it, a balance of relation between human beings and the nature. So all these aspects must be covered by such agreements as well. And for that, we need much more a multilateral trading system, which is responding to these challenges, then concluding only bilateral agreements in the interest of two sides, neglecting what impact such an agreement has on the third partner. Thank you. Really interesting thoughts. Um... I would like to, to go ahead with one more question, if we still have time. Yeah. Okay, so did business lobbies and other lobby groups have a big impact on the development of the agreement as it currently stands? And how are they involved in the process? And in general, is lobbyism big in Europe and how does it uh, interact with trade deals? Unfortunately, the pressure from lobby groups, in particular from the from the industries, is quite big. They are permanently, of course, talking also with the Commission and how the market chances of this internal market and where these economic stakeholders are playing a role should be should have also access to to. To, to developing the external trade uh, policies. But of course, it, it's, we should be uh, also very clear. These are job places in a lot of enterprises and corporations here in Europe, in our industries. 80% of, uh, of the value production is taking place in SMEs in Europe or throughout Europe. So how far they are able to, to counter with the market power of the big transnational corporations. And transnational corporations don't look directly into the, into the um, um, conditions at the ground, being it in European Union or being it in Latin America or somewhere else. So they are just looking where there's a, the biggest margin of profits to be achieved and, um, and uh, where they can have a chance to to stick to their, to their normal uh, organizational production procedure uh, in the past. And I, I would say um, we need to link the restructuring, restructuring of the European industrial policies, being able 
to compete with third countries. We are in a new situation, India, China, United States. They are in, 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 in a lot of areas of economic performances far ahead of us. Even as European Union as the biggest market is, is of course also a very much welcome partner. And, and, and our industries are going out because the, the, the whole economic model is export, is, is, is exchange, etc. is in a certain way coming in closer cooperation. So in a certain way, I would say the 21st century should become the century where we are rethinking the trade policies from the point of view what we really need to exchange, what we really need to trade, uh, and, and where we have to boost the economic performance of the European Union to be an accelerator for economic development in other areas of the world. So the, 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 the thinking in the post-colonial, but still colonial terms in our heads uh, in Europe uh, is playing a too significant role by determining the economic performances. And here is, I see a, a great challenge. But of course, it must be realized together with trade unions. It must be realized together with the SMEs. It must be realized together uh, with all citizens throughout the European Union to, to find addresses for, for these concretized answering of these needs of, of, of the next 30, 40, 50 years. And, and, and unfortunately, the Mercosur Agreement is just not giving this answer. It's not just the basis for such a restructuring of our own economic understanding. Um, and, and therefore, uh, I would say it should be newly negotiated. We, we would need a new mandate, which is incorporating such criteria for being a basis for a fruitful, uh, sustainable cooperation with the Brazilians. So if there is now new elections next year in Brazil and Lula or the left or the broader left would have again a chance to take the power, then the same problems will be on the table. So it's not only Bolsonaro, it's just the question how we are organizing our reality in the interest of the citizens. Thank you very much, Mr. Scholz, again. Uh, that was my last question, actually. So thank you so much for your time, for the time to talk to us. Yes, thank you. It's been a great pleasure to get some insights from an expert on the issue. Yeah, and uh, I mean, we have a lot of new horizontal uh, legislation. We have new tools and instruments developed now uh, with the Commission or in the Commission, which has to be discussed and adopted by the European Parliament. The whole enforcement regulation, the questions of, uh, of the due diligence. We just voted today the due diligence initiative report legal initiative report, which will give us a, a, a strong tool into the hands, also in the direction of Latin American countries, that they have to meet human rights, uh, environmental aspects. So there is a development and it is worthwhile to discuss again and again these aspects, how they can 
impact um, the performances also of our corporations within the European Union. So I, I'm glad to be uh, in contact with you also in future if you have uh, certain other questions on that subject. We will see what with the Mercosur agreements coming out. We will have in, in April, I think the 24th or something like that, and a conference where we are um, uh, introducing a study committed for our uh, political group by the University of Sao Paulo about the use of pesticides and what does it mean for, for, for the concrete economic production, in particular, of course, in the rural areas in this country, but not only there, and what does it mean for the European Union as a partner for, for the Mercosur countries to import goods uh, from this region, which are produced against the standards we had agreed on here in the European Union. So uh, feel invited. Thank you. That's great. At least that's some good news and good developments for the near future. Over the following weeks, we will work on an edited podcast and we will certainly let you know once the whole project is ready. Uh, would you like to see the podcast or the episode that you are on before it gets published? No, I'm, I'm, I, I, I trust you that you will not cut it in a way that it is not <laughs> mirroring my position. All right. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> thank you, Helmut. Thank you, Emma. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Simon. Bye. 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 Have a good day. Bye. Thank you.